Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Tuesday afternoon at 10 minutes past 2 o'clock. And this afternoon, we are delighted to be joined by Andrew Dembina, our Tuesday reporter. Anders, great to speak to you. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Noreen. How are you today? Yes, good, good. The, the weather is warming up and I'm hoping ah, uh, for yeah. some good weather during the Easter break. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. It should be good. I mean, it's, it's, it's suddenly summer again, isn't it? Anyway. It sounds sad, um, I wanted, the thought of that. It's great. Yeah, I, I wanted to power up today's Tuesday report then with uh, the results of something we were talking about in uh, last week's one. It's Asia's 50 best restaurants. I'm not going to name the restaurants, but there was this rivalry that I mentioned. So it was all streamed live last Thursday. And the uh, Asian Dining Awards news is that Hong Kong was the, uh, had the number one ranking. And also, Hong Kong should be very, very proud to get 11 places within the top 50. Pretty incredible. That's amazing. I really, yeah, it is an amazing result. And, you know, we talked about the rivalry between Singapore and Hong Kong, which exists in a lot of food and drinks um, reviews or articles and different awards, not only the Asia's Best Restaurants Awards, but many others too. And um, Singapore, how did they fare then? The answer, how many did Lion City get? A mere eight, I'm afraid. Better luck next year, Lion City. Um, we got 11, as I say. And um, it was the, what was really interesting, the top five last year, I mentioned, was two each for our own SAR and Singapore, two apiece with the remaining place going to Tokyo. But this year, it was one each only to Singapore and Hong Kong. And Tokyo got one as well. And the remaining two places went to Bangkok. It's done by Asian city rather than whole country. So Bangkok had six restaurants in the whole top 50, which is pretty significant. Not that it never gets any, but that, but it did really well this year. So there you go. We're top of the list for a year. And also the title of Asia's best pastry chef went to a Singaporean chef called Angela Lai, who runs, who's the head pastry chef in a restaurant called, um, almost like terroir, the, the word I mentioned for, uh, for the microclimate of wine. It's called terroir bit of a weird one. Don't, know, don't, don't think it means anything. It's in Taipei. And the winner of the best female chef, because the world of chefery is still very much male-dominated, as we've spoken about before more than once, so they do have a best female chef to bring forward the rising numbers and um, credibility and improvement of really top female chefs in the region. It went to someone called uh, Dial Tan, who owns her restaurant in Shanghai called Obscura. So I, I, I think we've spoken before about this noting of best female talent. It's a weird one. There have been some winners in Hong Kong before, and I can't help asking the question, should there be a female? It would be, I mean, I know it happens in many other areas of work as well, like sports, and acting, let's say, but is it really, is it necessary? Can't, uh, can't there be some kind of list of best chefs that the, the, the female chefs, fewer in numbers granted, but that they would appear in whatever number, you know, in whatever ranking that they are felt deserved by a judge panel. Yeah. So it really has to still be these days that there's a best 
female chef award i wonder what do you think about that yeah it's such a tough one I, yeah i agree I, I agree with you you know a chef should be a chef you know you you judge them by their uh, culinary mm. and and cooking abilities although because it's such a sort of male dominated industry mm. that you know if if you were just to have one would it just be because of the sheer number of of male chefs would it just yeah there it, would be far fewer so maybe they'd get less prominence, right? Yeah, because and less recognition. Be, I, I don't you know. know, it's a tough one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, it happens in sports, obviously, because of the physical differences between male and female gender. Not in they, sailing. Uh, so I learned last week that um, if you're a female sailor, it's it's a sport that you can you can compete, both genders can compete in the same race, in sailing. Did you I say sailing? Yes, I didn't oh, right. know that. Right. Okay. Um, yes, I did. I, I, yeah, I was aware of in, in uh, yeah, in sailing Ooh, races. So that, you yeah. Well, only, <laughs> yeah. no, only because I actually used to do some editing and writing. Still do a bit for oh, boating yeah, publications. But um, so yeah, that's true. It is one of the rare ones. Um, there are also some leagues of in sports in other countries where there are mixed male and female uh, players in both football, i.e., the soccer type of football and in some other sports too but they but the ones but, but the ones that um that really stand out though are things like let's say the controversial oscars which are um you know i mean there's always a uh, male and female um presentations there should be even if there are just a bit more a few more male actors that is it necessary anyway we're veering exactly. off we're veering off the food and drink topic aren't we but um um, if people would like to know more details on which restaurants are the top 50 for Asia's best restaurants this year, the very um, the very curious list that ma- many in the food industry take seriously, go to, um, this is all one world, the world's 50 best, all one word, dot com. Click around and on their homepage, it says Asia's 50 best restaurants because these results just came in less than a week ago. So... That's moving on to a focus uh, from there to mainland China and home baking. I hadn't heard until I read an article this week that during China's lockdown and restrictions during COVID, just like their peers around the world, those at home have turned to Western-style home baking as as a way of keeping occupied as well as feeding families and themselves during the pandemic, but also as something of a an interest to become skillful. And in an article published in um, justfood.com last week, it reports that while Western home-style baking is still a, a relatively new trend in China, it's become really popular during this COVID era. And so it's presenting a change in food culture a little bit um, and also in an opportunity to um, for people to experiment with something that they're unfamiliar with as a personal challenge, meaning that that, that manufacturers also need to get their acts together because it's a new, fast-growing market. So so there's enough flowers, yeast, flavorings, and so on there. I wonder if there was a flower shortage there as well because we definitely saw that in our sort of supermarkets and the shelves were (laughs) were often empty. we we spoke about that, didn't we? And it's um you know it, it, with social media driving it at the time, I'm sure that many of us can remember this. That the everyone having these lovely it was loads of bread more than cakes and stuff more than sweet things, wasn't it? And I and I and I, I got on the bandwagon myself. It's something I've always wanted to do. 
And I know we spoke about this at the time, but it was quite a curious thing to do. And I couldn't, <laughs> I, it, I couldn't get uh, flour for many times. I'm sure many of us experienced this too, and yeast. It was a real problem, wasn't it? No, that, that wasn't reported as being, it wasn't, didn't become as mass popular as that. But still, the fact is that people hadn't touched it before. But, you know, traditionally, baking is not an important part of uh, cuisine in China. Um, although some local cuisines do include cakes of different sorts and buns, you know, that are steamed. But the Western style is not really a thing. And also, um, there aren't as many people that have even countertop ovens, let alone fitted ones, in China proportionally compared to Hong Kong, which is a bit more international oriented in the kitchen, I think. Exactly, because the Chinese, um, well, you, you mm. mentioned Western style baking, because in Chinese desserts, we often use rice flour or glutinous flour, and, and you sort of steam it, you steam the yeah. cakes. So. Yeah, or pan fry, or yeah, oh, or, yeah, or right. yeah. Uh, some, some, uh, some older uh, people, I think, used to, instead of, who didn't have a countertop, oven would actually just make a wok with its lid on really hot. That's what my grandma in, did, and bake yeah. the cake, and it was so soft and that's, fluffy. That's, yeah, yeah. Kind of like that's, the that's Japanese exactly, cakes that, that you that see stuff. these days, but, you know, let me assure you, it's not Japanese, it's Chinese. Just thought I'd get it in there. Japanese cakes, is that, is that what they're called in Chinese? <laughs> no, you know, you, nowadays you get those really fluffy Japanese cakes that everyone's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's been done many yeah. years ago. Oh, uh, yeah. Super, super springy light sponge, yeah? That's right. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. well, so um, it has become more popular, though, in China because of Western-style cake shops and coffee shops opening since the 1990s, you know, the, the ones that we see opening all over the, the world. And one um, photographer turned bakery guru um, opened something called Hollyland, which was uh, uh, from 1992 because he couldn't find what he considered to be a real birthday cake. Um, and the company now has more than 1,000 shops in 50 cities in China. It's just one of many that has many, many uh, bakeries around. There are a lot of chains now. So the bakering sector has developed rapidly, but not too many people have been trying it at home until the pandemic kicked in. So, and what a lot of bakeries did from last January, because it hits China obviously a lot harder initially than the rest of the world, so 2020, January, um, a lot of bakeries had to close down as well as a lot of other places uh, of business because it was a lockdown situation there. And one of the first bakeries to start doing partially made bread, croissants and cakes in a Western style was called Kenji. That's the name of the chain. And they made things that were half made, like we see from a lot of bakeries here, that are half done. And then you put them into an oven with instructions on how long you need to cook them, what temperature, and then they finish baking themselves. And this kick-started more interest because a number of bakers started doing that in people starting from scratch because they had all this time at home like everywhere else. So just an interesting thing, really. I wonder if um, the Chinese cake flavorings or preferences would be different or not. The article I read didn't mention that, but it did mention justfood.com where I read this. It did say that it noticed on social media which is Weibo and other sites in China that brightly colored icings and cake decorations like sprinkles and all decorations are a thing about the this wave of Chinese interest in bakery that everything is brightly colored much more so than in other places to make it look kind of you know a bit zingy so 
the uh, just to finish this uh, this, this segment, um, the the foodjustfood.com reckons that there's going to be much more demand for colourings for sponges and ice things and all of these decorations than in other parts of Asia because of this taste to really highly decorate some of these some of these cakes and um, an international uh, uh, research market research company called IRN forecasts a 45% year-on-year growth in home baking in China from this year until 2025. That's from a UK-based international market research company. Mm-hmm. So things are, things are happening in home baking in China. And next, next thing I wanted to talk about is that uh, it's more on the global domination of fried chicken. The latest report on fried chicken. We chatted a few weeks ago about how the US fast food chain Burger King was launching fried chicken for the first time ever with two varieties of, of its uh, flavoured batter debuting in Thailand. Well, the Philippines' largest restaurant chain, Jollibee, known for its fans mostly for its crispy fried chicken, is looking at global expansion with 450 new eateries due to open this year. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a big, yeah, it is. It's, it's um, just to mention, its signature dish is called the Chicken Joy. I've not tried that, but it's a, a breaded, uh, crispy chicken meal with Delicious. a marinade. That, is it? Have you had that? Ah, big well, fan of Jollibee. Big fan. Okay. Yeah, I haven't tried that. I have had Jollibee before, but not its chicken. Um, they also do a couple of other... They, they team it up with their with their Filipino spaghetti as well, and that's really good. Yes, yeah. spaghetti is what I've had. Yeah, that's exactly what I've had. Yeah. It's a bit um, sweet, but it's quite yummy. Yeah, it is, it is. I've had a few of those. Um, the uh, the marinade of its uh, chicken joy is a trade secret, and the, uh, the CEO of the company says that it's a bestseller in every market in the world, and they adapt it according to the market. It's a bit like we mentioned with the burgers in thailand going spice uh, sorry the the chicken batter going going spicy to go for the thai palate so in an article that i read um on bbc online um it's mentioned that the company sees opportunities created by covid19 that i mentioned last last time that people are looking for more affordable takeouts and this is what has driven its belief that it can target more and more overseas markets not just in asia it does. It does target them in Asia. Most of its non-Philippines outlets are in Southeast Asia, in particular. We know we've got them in Hong Kong, as you just mentioned, but also they have them in North America, Canada, US, and the UK. They're already they are, they already exist there. I didn't know that, and they are planned for the next year to open in Wales and Scotland. Those are on the... Wow. Um, I, wonder, I, wonder how, I wonder how, you know, Scottish Highlanders will take to it. Well, I'm sure they have fast food about it. I'm sure the, uh, the white-bearded colonel is up there already. So they've got um, some stats. They had... Jollibee had more than 5,800 eateries in 33 countries at the end of last year, and they lost 500 of them during the pandemic that couldn't make it, that closed mm-hmm. down. So this new, these new ones are... Uh, 450 is actually fewer than they lost during the pandemic. So they're just posting a few of their outlets in different newer places, like the mention of Wales and Scotland. They lost a lot of money, one equivalent of 1.9 billion Hong Kong dollars across all of their restaurants in the world. 
Um, that's their first annual loss in over three decades. I mean, there are many, there are many multi-sort of outlet places that could probably say similar, but it's just interesting. Those are huge figures, aren't they? Um, and the Philippines itself has, like like everywhere else, I guess, has sunk into recession. So their domestic um, situation is looking pretty grim. And the company says that that's the reason that it's targeting foreign markets, because it thinks that foreign markets might come back faster than the Philippines itself. Sad, that's a sad but true thing that it admitted just in the last couple of weeks. Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe and, after the show you'll be able to get a, get the opportunity to head down there and, and, and try their chicken. It is very good. They also do this, it's going to sound a bit weird, but they also do this mango and peach pie, which is quite nice if you are... When you say pie... Is it, is it is it actually like in pastry? No, 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 no. Okay. Kind of like, okay. kind of like, uh, yeah, like kind of like a McDonald's apple pie. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Oh okay, okay. With tropical fruits. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, like really, really weird. Yeah. Sorry, go on. You've got three yeah. minutes, Andrew. Yeah. Okay. Well, the last one, the last thing I wanted to mention, which is not really that long, is um, back to Hong Kong as Easter holidays arrive. I didn't want to talk too much about Easter eggs and uh, and other things, but I did notice, I had to mention this really, that more bakeries than I've ever seen in, you know, sort of way more than two decades that I've been here, um, are that um, the hot cross bun diversity is vast this, uh, this coming Easter. There's more than I've ever seen. There are lots of uh, different bakeries presenting their own variations it hasn't sort of become like really crazy stuff like you get in some mooncakes you know ice cream and all the rest of it it's not like that but it's but it's just that there are different flavorings and some of them some places are serving easter and pre-easter tea sets now which are including hot cross buns that are that have the raisins taken out of them but still have a kind of sticky glaze on the outside that are filled with savoury flavourings. Mm. So this is something quite new. I don't know how that would be, because I like... Do you like a hot cross bun, Nori? I do, yeah, very yummy. Yeah, same here. And it's the spiciness and the sweetness that mm. I love. Uh, in fact, there's. Um, we talked a, you a toast couple of weeks it? ago... Do you toast it a little bit and then put butter on it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do, yeah, but actually I've got to say, I don't know how I just thought this would be good, but I think it is. It is for me anyway. Peanut butter in a hot cross bun toasted a bit we're out of time this afternoon sorry andrew yeah no, <laughs> okay. no we're not going to have you talk about peanut butter on hot cross buns get out of here <laughs> yeah. that's weird well, suddenly suddenly it's 2 30. okay <laughs> i'm yeah. just kidding uh, what else do you do yeah. you've got 30 yeah. seconds no 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 i would i would put uh, butter on it normally but i just discovered as someone on the island that I live on makes their own and sells them in a way that we've described before more people are doing during COVID. I won't mention the name because I don't know if it's licensed, but they're really good quality and those go lovely with a dollar for peanut butter. Noreen, treat yourself. Have a go. Treat yourself. Before I go, you know, with Easter eggs, sometimes they come with cream filling and you've got sort of, nowadays you get Oreo and all sorts of things. I've often wondered why they don't do boozy Easter eggs. Why don't they have alcohol-filled ones? Because maybe they do, but maybe I've just missed that. Um, I've never seen that. I've never seen that either. And I like the sound of it. Exactly, because often you get those chocolate with the with the liqueur or some sort of I don't know whiskey. Why don't they do that with Easter eggs? 
Good idea. They're often shaped in a barrel or a little mini bottle, aren't they? Yeah, Easter eggs, why not? Exactly. Well, on this note, happy Easter, Andrew. Always a pleasure to, to, to chat to you. And we'll speak again uh, later on this week for Artsing Around. Thank you very much uh, to Andrew Demby.